Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. This is your host, Jan Cancilla. You know the sound of my sewing machine means it's time for another episode. So let's get started. On today's episode, we're going to meet two very different So Powerful purse makers, though both are fascinating. Before the break, we're going to speak with Teresa Delaporte, who came to So Powerful through one of the most unique doors we've ever heard of. And after the break, we will meet former school teacher Vivian Sylvester. Vivian actually recruits purse makers in a storefront shop in her hometown. Stay tuned. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a So Powerful purse maker who came to So Powerful through a very unique door. We will meet Teresa Delaporte and discover how her unique hobby opened the door for her to So Powerful. Good morning, Teresa. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Happy well, yes, I have to say of all the people I've talked to um, and how they heard about So Powerful, the way, the way you did it is the most unique of all. Um, tell us how you learned about So Powerful originally. Yes. Well, I've been a soap maker for um, 20 years and I belong to an online forum that uh, it talked all soap, soap making. And it had been online for, oh golly, maybe 15 years and, you know, made many uh, friends through the, through that forum. And there was a, a section on the forum that talked about other things besides soap. And one of the individuals posted about So Powerful on the uh, off-topic forum. So I, I went there because I loved to do sewing mm-hmm. in addition to soap making. And I was just fascinated by the work that Jason and Cinnamon were doing and their beautiful smiles um, and their voice through the um, online just came through in such kindness and happiness. And I thought, well, golly, that's something I can do. I sew is one of my other hobbies. Um, in addition to soap making, I got into soap making, um, 20 years ago, I started growing a lavender plant in my garden and I thought, oh my gosh, this reminds me of soap. I wonder if I can make soap out of it. So I took a class and then just really went down that path and just loved making soap. I had an online website for a while and um, I sold at farmer's markets, but you know, now I'm involved in so many things that I just make it for uh, my family and friends. Wow. I have to say that's, that's very cool. And because we have the uh, soap co-op in Zambia as part of So Powerful, that seems like a, a marriage made in heaven. That, that's yeah. perfect. So we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that. You are uh, quite the career woman. You own a business there in Colorado. Tell us a little bit about the company that you own and run. Yes. Well, I have worked for another company um, for 15 years, and then I broke off eight years, eight and a half years ago, started my own company. We are now at 11 people, and we are a um, science and engineering consulting firm. Water in the West is not easy to find and um, not like you know, east of the Mississippi. So Colorado has some very strict regulations on how you obtain water and how that works. So experts like us are hired to help people find water. So we work for not only 
residential units and folks like that, but all the way up through to the federal government. So we are quite blessed. We have just an excellent team of people. I'm a hydrogeologist by training. Um, my husband also works for us. We also do um, environmental engineering, so cleanup of spills of like gas stations and dry cleaners and monitoring landfills and things like that. So how does one become a hydro engineer? What, what, what prompted you to, to, I take it's a course of study in, in college, is that right? Yes, I am one of nine children and um, a number eight. And my older brothers went into geology in mm -hmm. college. My parents were um, college professors, so they were very much interested in um, making sure all of us got to college. And this is why those gals in Zambia speak to me, because I want them to have the same kinds of opportunities that I had. So I was lucky in, um, we grew up in a middle-class family, although we weren't super rich. And that's one of the reasons I got into sewing is that my older sisters, I had hand-me-down clothes, certainly. But if I wanted something new, I needed to sew because mm -hmm. we a lot of money. So my mother sewed lots of things for us. And um, so I learned to sew. Um, geez, golly, when I was five or six years old, I think I was mm -hmm. sewing. So if I wanted new clothes, that's what I had to do. So and then I just really enjoy sewing as a hobby. I just mm -hmm. love creating things. But I think I got off track there. Um, yes, I so I went into geology because of my older brothers and sisters. Well, my older brothers, I have three three brothers who are geologists as well. And I was very fascinated by that. I was always fascinated by science. And so um, I took a, uh, you know, I got a degree in geology. It, I grew up in Southwestern Ohio. I got a degree in geology, and then I got a master's degree in hydrogeology. So water rocks is basically what it is. So groundwater, um, wells, um, how water moves through the environment. So. I have to say, we have the most brilliant purse makers in all the world who volunteer for So Powerful. It's and amazing. speaking of volunteering, um, besides running your own company and making purses, and um, I have the privilege of being able to see over your right shoulder there a beautiful display of purses that yes. um, that you, I presume you're about to pack up and, and ship off. Yes, but, yes um, I was holding them off for this so we could see them. I... Um, only got seven done this past time. I have I have done over, I think I lost count at 275. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, so I started, I think in 2015. So maybe it was the second year that they were doing it. I think yeah. something like that. Well, to our listeners, and if you're a purse maker or a wannabe purse maker and think, well, I don't really have time to fit that in, um, wait till you hear what else Teresa does. So she makes soap as a hobby. She owns an engineering and science company, but she also volunteers besides making purses. She also volunteers and does some other charity work. Tell us what you do with pollination. This is fascinating. Yes. So there's a piece of property behind our house that we're working with our um, neighbors to change it back from residential units to agriculture. So one of our neighbors is a beekeeper and that is an agricultural type activity. So she uh, belongs to the County Beekeepers Association. And so we got the county involved 
and we have, I think, 10 beehives up there now. And it was just kind of open prairie. So we are took out a section and we're planting a pollinator garden for the bees. Not only bees, but butterflies. And then Colorado is just full of hummingbirds as well. So my sister works for the Denver Botanic Gardens and she has helped me source local plants. We're in the beginning stages now and trying to, I mean, I'm not a farmer, but (laughs) trying to to understand it. Um, A lot of things are coming together with that, with just people volunteering to help out with it. And it's going to be just a nice little place for neighbors to walk and then um, with beehives around, you know, and as you know, bees are so important right now. to make sure that they survive and help pollinate our plants. Right. Now, another volunteer activity that you were involved with, you were appointed by the governor of the state of Colorado. Tell us about that. Yes. So um, in my work as a hydrogeologist, I um, work with lots of well drillers all over the state. The way that Colorado works, there's a it's called a board of examiners, and they regulate or monitor well drilling operates. So they license the well drillers. And then if there's any kinds of violations or questions or whatever, well drillers come to the board. So I was asked uh, by the well drillers, they came to me and they said, there's a position open on the board. Would you apply for it? And I said, sure, but I don't know the governor. (laughs) (laughs) Happy to do that. And um, they said, don't worry about it. It's fine. And so I was appointed by um, John Hickenlooper and they appointed me as the chairman of the board. And so I ran that board for several years and that was volunteer work. You know, we didn't get paid for it and we Mm -hmm. went through rule changes and things like that. And they asked me to be a hearing officer. I said, oh my goodness, (laughs) a hearing officer. So it was quite just a wonderful opportunity for me. And I was able to use the, the gavel, you know, the person who uses the gavel. So I had that um, opportunity and met one, wonderful, um, the wonderful well drillers throughout the state who are just the salt of the earth. And they're just really hardworking folk. And so that was, that was a really wonderful opportunity for me. So when you're not working and you're not volunteering um, and you're not making soap, it looks like you're making purses for So Powerful. Yes, yes, I am. And I unfortunately only made seven this time around. Uh, well, I also made probably 300 masks during the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I joined the Denver uh, Mass Task Force. I mean, I had so many scraps. that. <laughs> well, I, I've waited my whole life for, for sewing to be cool. And, and apparently this is the year. So <laughs> Exactly right. So I'm sure all of us purse makers jumped to that for a while. Absolutely. So you heard about So Powerful through your soap co-op <laughs> uh, way back in 2015. And the name of the story that you submitted and <laughs> is going to be published in the second edition of the We Are So Powerful book, I read every single word. Tell us what happened. You, you heard about So Powerful and you went to the website. Um, what was that like when you started learning about So Powerful? Well, I just thought that Cinnamon and Jason jumped off, jumped out of the screen and told me that this was something I needed to do. Their smiles are so radiating of kindness and happiness and, and they have a true calling. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they were just 
the most amazing folk. And, and like I said before, those young girls, like, you know, I remember having my period and, and just being so terrified that somebody was going to know and as, as all young women do. And, and so I just felt like it was so important to help those gals get a good education, um, get the, some of the same opportunities that I had so that they could reach their potential. And um, I was just fascinated by the pictures of those gals and um, their stories of AIDS and how they really had nothing. I thought, well, if I could give them something to brighten their day in some small way, that's what I needed to do. And so as a hobbyist who makes soap, what do you think about the soap co-op in, in the yeah. uh, Nambe compound that so powerful supports? Yeah, well, before they started that, I kept thinking, well, I'm a soap maker. I think I could go there and teach them how to make it. Mm. Um, and so that was one of the things in the back of my head. And then this, this soap co-op happened. Um, I just thought that was brilliant because anybody who has been to a hotel knows that you don't use all that little bar of soap. Of course, I don't use it. I bring my own. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, Teresa, I have to say you have one of the more fascinating backgrounds and entrees into So Powerful. It's been a delight talking with you, and uh, we thank you very much for your time and look forward to seeing those purses behind you in the arms of young women in Zambia. So thank you so much. Have you gotten the second edition of the we Are So Powerful book. This updated version of the original bestseller, 4.9 out of 5 stars, by the way, is again authored by So Powerful co-founders Jason and Cinnamon Miles. It is available on Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle reader. This latest edition is packed full of moving stories about how So Powerful came to be, the volunteers who make it happen, and the way this small movement has grown into a global mission to break the cycle of poverty through education and the dignity of work. And don't forget, when you place your order, if you use smile.amazon.com and designate So Powerful as your preferred charity, Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase right back to So Powerful. And now back to our podcast. Welcome back. My second guest is Vivian Sylvester, a retired school teacher who has a very interesting story to tell about her association with So Powerful. How are you today, Vivian? I'm good, Jen. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. You know, I don't often talk to a guest and start out by disagreeing with them, but I'm going to quote the story that you submitted to the We Are So Powerful book, second edition. And I'm going to have to disagree with you because your very first sentence in your story was, I don't think I have a story that is book worthy. So number one, your story was in the book. And number two, now we're talking about it in a podcast. So in my opinion, it's a great story. <laughs> I guess it must be. <laughs> Um, what you tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you were a school teacher back in the day. So uh, give us a little background about who Vivian Sylvester is. 
Well, I, yes, I was a school teacher and I taught English in junior high. It was, um, I loved teaching, but when I had my children, I left teaching. Back in those days, they didn't have maternity leave. I didn't have too much of an option. So, um, and my husband was a principal. And so as education changed and he would come home talking about all the different changes in education, I decided that I wasn't too sure I wanted to go back to teaching. So I had a variety of other types of jobs. I had my own craft business for a number of years, uh, which was a source of income so that I could stay home and be a stay-at-home mom. And uh, eventually my husband retired. And uh, so that we've been retired now for a number of years. And after retirement, I got just that much more interested in uh, doing outreach projects and mission projects. So I've been very active with that with my church. Well, tell us a little bit about the craft business you had. That sounds interesting. Um, I did a variety of, of crafts. I changed over the years, but I would work from home so that if I wanted to do something with the kids, or, uh, I could do that. We could take a day off and, and go and have fun, or we could, I could work from home and not have to worry about getting sitters and having mm -hmm. someone watch them. And then I did, I traveled a little bit of a craft circuit, about 30 mile radius of where I live in Pittsburgh, PA. And um, it, it was fun, it was fun. I did it for 18 years. Wow. And then by then my children were getting of college age and I decided I needed to have some, a, a paycheck rather than the occasional craft income. So I, I ended the craft business and I went back to a full-time job. Oh, okay. All right. And what kind of work did you do when you went back? I worked for a glass company. I was sort of um, office manager, I guess you could call. I sort of helped to run the company uh, for, the, for the fellow that owned it and, and over time took over many of his duties. And I did that for eight years. And then at that point, my husband retired and I left my job so that we could enjoy retirement together. So Vivian, what an interesting background. I understand that your church has a fair trade store that you're involved with. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Start out and explain what fair trade is and then tell us about uh, the store that the church operates. Well, fair trade is a way of doing business that uh, is, uh, is, is very fair and very honest. It involves the doing business with crafters around the world who for the large part are, are uh, too small to get out on the world market. So the fair trade organizations, the legitimate fair trade organizations, deal with these people and, and pay them a fair wage for what they do. Uh, we purchase from these various organizations, from these various crafters through them. And, uh, and we don't make a whole great big profit because the idea is for us to just help these people continue their, their working, their making crafts and doing business by their getting the, the most profit from the, the items that they make. It's a way for people around the world to sustain their livelihoods and their families. Uh, and they wouldn't be able to do that just all by themselves because they are too small to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, the, our store is actually, I think, in its 45th year. Wow. It was founded in 1975. And I came on in, in the late 1990s, 97, 98. 
So I've been with them for over 20 years. And we decided about four years ago to move out into the community. We were always mostly located in our church. Mm-hmm. We would do a show here or there. We would take it out on the road. But mostly we worked out of our church and we were a seasonal business. And we wanted to have a little bit further outreach. So we moved into a storefront in our community. And in addition to that, we also opened up, we took two units in this six unit little strip mall. And one side is the fair trade store. The name of the store is the Olive Branch Fair Trade Shop and Missions and More. And while I work in the fair trade store and I'm on the board and very involved in the fair trade store, I am the outreach coordinator of the missions and more. And that group is volunteers from the community that come in and work together to do projects. And we we do things for for people all over the world, including making purses, which Mm -hmm. is my involvement in the the, uh, So Powerful project. Well, Vivian, I can see your background as a craft owner and and having your own craft business aligned with this. Um, The fair trade piece of this work aligns very nicely with what So Powerful does and the philosophy and mission of So Powerful. So tell us a little bit about how you came to become involved with So Powerful, how you first heard about it and, and what you've been doing with So Powerful since that time. When I was first asked to be the outreach coordinator at our fair trade store, my my first task was to find a project that we could pre- present to the community and seek volunteers to come in and begin to do uh, mission projects. And I was familiar with the purse project because at that time, my granddaughter was something like about eight or nine years old, and she was into American Girl dolls. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I don't consider myself a tremendous sewer, but I can sew a little. And I began to look around for patterns and ideas that I could use, that I could make some clothing for her doll. And I had seen online information about Sew Powerful, and I had actually ordered some of their patterns to make for my granddaughter. And in all that, I became involved and interested in the purse project. So... My and that was, was that through Pixie Fair or Liberty Jane, one of the, the doll clothes pattern makers? Yes, both Liberty Jane and Pixie Fair uh, were, were where I was looking around. And in just looking all through their information, I, I looked and, and saw information about the purse project. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I thought, wow, that, that sounds really like a nice idea. And I, I had mentioned in my article that one of the things I really liked about it was the fact that when the girls got their purses, sometimes they still weren't able to use them because they would take them home and their caregiver or their auntie would maybe see it and want it. So it wasn't really still helpful to them to help keep them in school. And I should mention that I I did make the trip to Africa. I went with Jason and Cinnamon in 2017. So seeing that firsthand too was uh, just just another picture for me of of how important it was that these lovely young women get to stay in school. So when they asked me to begin these projects, I had one already in mind that I thought would be good, and that was to make purses. We had one lady who came on as a volunteer who was a marvelous sewer, 
and she made the first perch. She sort of made our prototype. Mm -hmm. So I had one to show to people when they would come into the store and that was our first example. And as I talked about it, talked more about the school and all that, um, that, that, that became the start. And in the beginning, we had several ladies make purses, and including myself. I sewed purses at the time. That's been about four years now. So since that time, I don't make that many purses. I'm more involved in the coordinating of that project than many others. And I cut out a lot of the purses. <laughs> we've kind of evolved into providing purse kits for a lot of the women who sew. And we largely have one woman in particular who makes probably about 90, 95% of all the purses that we make. You want to give her a shout out? What's her name? Her name is Flo. And I've actually wanted to take her picture and put it up on the Sew Powerful on the purse page. She's very quiet. She's very shy. She doesn't want that notoriety or publicity. Uh, she just wants to make purses. She, she loves the project. She's all into the ideas behind it. She's, um, she's up in years and, and was actually looking for something to do, sure. something to give her a purpose to continue doing good things. And it, it's almost been life-changing for her. We've talked to her daughter a couple of times and she's, every time we see her, she's like, thank you so much for giving my mom a purpose and something to do. She was in that time of her life. Her grandchildren were gone. Everybody was all grown up. She didn't need to be making clothing for the kids anymore and toys and dolls. She needed a purpose. And she's a lovely, quiet, woman who just makes purses and makes them beautifully. She's a marvelous sewer. And when I cut out, I usually get my piece of material and cut several at a time out of the, the various colors and patterns. And then she does embellishing after she gets them all made. And there are no two alike. There's, uh, we, we call them fraternal twins, but not identical twins. Uh, it, it's just been, and we have other ladies too who enjoy making purses. But mm -hmm. Flo, I call her my, uh, my ace purse maker. She's, she's marvelous. So two days ago, uh, from the time we are recording this, was the um, spring priority deadline unboxing thank you party that has sort of a long name this year. Um, and it just seemed like every other box that they were pulling up was from Vivian Sylvester. But now that you explain it, um, give, give us an idea of how many purses you sent in from people that you've recruited in your community to make purses? Do you know? I don't have an exact total for this year, but I'm going to say probably, I'm going to say maybe a couple hundred to 200 to 50 so far. I do know that in the past two years, we have sent in over a thousand purses. Oh my goodness. Fortunately, Flo keeps count. I'm, I always tell people I'm an English person. I'm into words, <laughs> uh, not numbers. So, but Flo keeps count. And one year she did over 600 and one year she did over 400. So we're, I know we're over a thousand and my name just gets attached to it because I'm the return address on the box. Mm -hmm. And I try sometimes to put the olive, the olive branch name up there and then in care of Vivian Sylvester but it's my name that comes through and I'm just a small part of that that is 
That is a group project that involves many, many volunteers at the Olive Branch. Um, if I could give you a tip, if you will um, include a list of the people who contributed the purses that you put in your box, um, they'll read out the individual names if you think people would enjoy hearing their names. So you, they may say that, but then that separately, uh, you probably heard them doing that the other night where they were reading out names of people who had contributed to, to group projects. So It's interesting to, to hear some of the names. And uh, who was it, the Colorado Sisters? or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that they, Those are busy ladies, too. They are busy ladies. They are busy ladies. Wish, wish we could all be like the Colorado Sisters and Flo. It sounds like uh, those people might be our, our role models. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have to say, I don't think, well, I haven't heard of any other location that basically has a storefront for recruiting purse makers. I mean, that is just amazing. We go to quilt shows for that very purpose, but you have a permanent setup. Yes, we, we work in the store. Uh, largely, though, a lot of them, most of them are made from home. Sure. During these last few months when we've all been isolated in our homes, I have just on a given day gone out on my front porch and there's been a bag of purses there. Flo couldn't come into the store. She normally comes in and, and drops them off and picks up more purse kits. But under the circumstances, she would drive by my house and I would do the same thing. If I had some kits ready for her to sew, I would leave them out on the porch and she would come by and pick them up. So the work continued even though we weren't able to get together in the store. Sounds like a, a great system. Before we go, I want you to tell us quickly about what you did at your church when you first got involved with the Purse Project and, and you showed me a photo, which obviously we can't share over an audio broadcast, but tell us what happened at your church that first year you started making purses. We have a segment in our, in our worship service where we do announcements and we talk about various mission projects. So I would get up from time to time, we would keep people informed of the progress that the store was making, opening up in the storefront and the projects that we were getting involved in. And after we got a bunch of purses made, I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I, I know that the various ladies pray over the purses. Sometimes we do that in the store when we're working on projects. We'll take a minute and we'll say a prayer uh, over the items that we've made and the recipients of these things. And I said, what do you think about if giving people a real good idea of what we're doing if I come in? And I said, what if I bring in a bunch of our purses and we make a display she liked that idea, so we did that. We've actually done it a couple times, but we did it the first Sunday. We had a fairly uh, great, great display of many, many purses. And afterward, we invited people to come up and look at them, and they were ooing and aahing and how nice they were and looking at the interiors, the linings and everything. And it, it just became a very, uh, very emotional and wonderful thing. I hadn't yet gone to Africa at that point. Now when I talk about the purses and So Powerful, I can share what I know about the school and the purses and Esther and the ladies, the seamstresses. Um, it, that was life-changing for me. The lovely, lovely people in Nombe. Uh, and the beautiful children, it, it just brings it all home when I can talk about them and the situation there. 
it, 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 but that was the start for us, was to go in and take the purses and invite people. We got some participants uh, in the sewing project because of that, and uh, just people interested in the store, too, and coming in and checking out what we're doing over there. Well, you talk about the lovely, lovely people in Zambia. I think we've had the privilege of speaking to a lovely, lovely person who spends her time helping So Powerful. Vivian, thank you so much for all you do for So Powerful and for your time today. Well, you're very welcome. I was, I was glad to do it. If what you've heard today inspires you to want to make a difference, I urge you to explore the So Powerful website at www.sopowerful.org. That's S-E-W-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot O-R-G. The website has great information about the organization. It's where you can download the free purse patterns or even make a donation. We hope you will join us again next week when we bring you another So Powerful story. Thanks for listening. Now, Go out and have a so powerful day.